Hello and welcome to Centre Stage, the podcast of the International Centre for Women Playwrights, a virtual non-profit organisation dedicated to supporting women playwrights around the world. This series celebrates the work of members by showcasing excerpts of their work, followed by an interview where we can hear about their ideas and sometimes their process. I'm Jenny Monday, and in this episode of Centre Stage, we have Amy Ostreicher reading from her monologues. The first is called Intrusion, and the second is called Home and Raisinets on Earth. Amy is a playwright and one of our members from the United States. To begin with, we have Amy reading the monologue Intrusion, and then Home and Raisinets on Earth. Amy's work is copyright, and if you're interested in performing this or any other of her monologues, you can contact her through womenplaywrights.org or her website, amyoes, A-M-Y-O-E-S dot com. Here is Amy reading the first monologue. Intrusion by Amy Ostreicher. Whether I am the trespasser, alien, the outcast, the tortoise turned on its side, I can see the stream from here, and I long to dance with the source. Can I fish for you? Blue glimpse? A glimpse of the world as it was intended to be? The realism thrills me. In a world of perfect geometric shapes, painted signs, bright red automobiles, my hollow shell overflows with relief. For now, I have caught the world in coy disarray, in bashful asymmetry. I'm sorry if I disturbed you. I had thought you were done changing. But... Fair lilies in the stream, let me flatter you. You are such unperturbed beauty, a beautiful mess. Some divine energy had a penchant for modern art. This trail I stumbled down begs to recount to me. Please, can I tell you a story of what? What? Some kind of archetypal tale to us with its paw prints, bird calls, freaks and daddy long legs crawling under rocks like blue crabs, moist air, shadowed filth, rocking trees comforting one another in this dark forest community blue forest glimpse. You are my catch and my soul is your bait. Here is my glimpse of the world as it was intended to be. Realism thrills me as the wind now thrills your branches. In a world of perfect geometric shapes, of painted signs, of bright red automobiles, I wandered, lonely and seeking a friend, and I ask, 
can I belong? Crumble, crumble, crumble. I venture down and down further and down. I am a lone pebble, but unstranded, moving with a stream of wind that caresses the branches above me. In each branch, I breathe in the equalizing power of nature, a burgeoning love that transcends the limitations of being five foot three when the trees are so tall. The air sings and swells with a knowing comfort, a tune I've heard my whole life, as constant as the seasons. And now I look up at the dense ceiling of trees and whisper, thanks, before even realizing that I said it. And now the dance begins, a dance that I can join in too. And the violins play, and there are brass and winds and chords and reeds and strings, shrubs, pebbles, rocks, debris and slugs, sound and color and light. Trees start to rock back and forth, dance with my awe. They reply, yes, yes. I am the lone pebble tumbling and tumbling, being shaped and molded by the ground beneath me as it has beneath centuries and centuries of lava and strata. And then I stop, for I am stopped. A large oak tree firmly separates itself from the others. I whispered to it, tree, sway for me, sway for me, please. It didn't budge. I'm lowered from my floating enchantment. My soul bait is anchored once again as a fervent wind dodges corner to corner, boomerang from trunk to trunk, wind so dynamic it flickers like fire, wind so hasty it drenches flimsier trees with its own leaking madness. All limbs of the forest shake madly now, all limbs of my body petrified with wonderment. We are all shaking madly, dizzy and startled by the whippings of the delirious wind. Nature restores its internal pulse. The wind's wrath quickly wearies, settles, smaller gusts, internal pulsing, regulation. Even nature must sleep. Internal pulsing prompts a limb of the stubborn oak tree to coyly bob up and down. And the world was finally in sync. I thank this forest sanctuary one more time before I leave. <laughs> I am a most welcome trespasser and my shell is filled with burgeoning blue light. Good night, forest. I have danced with the source. <sighs> you
You're listening to Center Stage Podcast. We just heard Amy Ostreicher reading her monologue, Intrusion. We now have Amy reading her monologue, Home and Raisinets on Earth. Home and Raisinets on Earth by Amy Ostreicher. Tom, remember that week we spent on Earth? It was for their summer, just you and me. The only thing that really stands out was when you showed me hummingbirds. The first time I'd ever seen one, can you believe it? Lying on a hill. They have green hills there and birds. You know what it's like gazing up at a bird from the ground down there? You don't know. How could you? We're too high up. You can't see one bird from the sky from here. All there is is city smog, still trailing over. I miss looking up at those birds. They made me dizzy, just chit-chatting in clusters, bouncing up and down like kernels in a popcorn machine, just just hanging there from cloud fingertips. They were hovering above a flower, so miniature and fast that I kept losing them in the sunlight. Sunlight? How did it work its way through the cold with with such grace? Somehow, the sunlight spilled over the rigid edges of cold and and oozed between its sheets. It, it, it just eased the cold, massaging the air like lotion, working itself into my skin. Sunlight stroked with blue, like, like something huge contoured the sky with its ring finger. Not you, Tom, but just, just something, some kind of some kind of God, God and sunlight. Those are things that, that should be up there. How the sun with the bird brunches and blades of grass from behind. And, and what made the day so surreal was how the sunlight just chocolate coated the cold and the air felt so grainy rich and sweet. And when you pawed at it, how it felt like you could just reach into a breeze and grab a handful of rice or shiny raisinets. You know, those things on earth, raisinets. It was, it was fluttering sunlight, strong but so clearly part of a hole, just drizzling through leaks in the sun. It, it didn't feel so mind-blowing at the time. It, it just felt right and fine. It felt home. That's what happiness feels like. That and those, those shiny raisinets. And, and a baby. Nothing. No, nothing, I, Tom, 
I want us to look up at all that again. There's been something rising in me just like the sun. It's life. On earth, they look up at the sun and light and life and... Did you feel all that magic back then? A moment so tender and so swollen with magic that if you move too hastily, you, you might pop the moment bubble and life would just pour through the holes. Yet all we felt was fine, like, like idiots. It's all thin air up here. Tom, give me that back. I want to touch the grass again. The grass down there on earth. sun and God and breeze, that all belongs up here, not us, not giants. We have to go down there, Tom. It's where I want to raise our, our sun. Home. Home is on earth, Tom. Home is where our sun should be. You've been listening to Amy Ostriker reading from one of her monologues. We now have a short interview with Amy, and I started by asking her about the monologue Intrusion and its subtitle, Ode to Trees. Yes, um, this was actually based on a memory that I had and um, when I was younger, that I always was so fascinated with the world of nature. Um, yet I always felt this jarring contrast between, you know, these roads right outside, like the park I was on, where I see these, you know, racing cars and bright red signs, and yet come into this sacred sanctuary of of nature and wonder and just, you know, things undisturbed by this outside world. And so a big question I've asked since the time I could remember is, you know, which part of the world am I? Like part of me feels like I am this kind of natural, kind of like a tree. Um, yet I come from this kind of human-made world and like am I an intruder or am I really meant to be here and so it was always kind of fun and interesting kind of dipping my toes in both worlds and wanting those worlds to connect and and more than that really wanting someone else to understand that like we are a part of that world and they don't have to be so compartmentalized. I mean, and I think that's something I've always felt. So um, I wrote Intrusion um, because I thought it was an interesting word, you know, just the idea of like, do not trespass. And like, can we trespass without feeling like we're making like damage on nature? Can we really trespass into this world and 
and find a way to live in peace with it? And that was like an unanswered question for me that I would say kind of inspires like all the creative journeys I've taken um, so far. And have you performed the monologue intrusion yourself? Yes. I've done it as a monologue, you know, on a bare stage. I've done it with dancing. I've done it through puppetry. I've added my music to it um, because um, for me, all those creative worlds connect. (laughs) And what was the audience reaction? They were really, you know, they had never thought of, I mean, I've always heard that my word choices are very, like, different and, like, um, striking um, because I really see things as, I think I see things kind of out of the box, especially with nature. Um, so people are really struck by the poetry. I mean, there's a lot going on there, like, a lot of action within the words, and then because like I'm a dancer and a mover um just bring it all to life um so you know people are really um taken by that and what I'm looking for too also is I want to know how other people feel like when they're in that world of nature do they feel like the intruder do they feel like the welcome guest um yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see what sides people take. Thank you. And um, we've also heard in the podcast the, um, the monologue, Raisinets on Earth. Yes. <laughs> and you, you've got, it, it, you, when, you read, when you read this, um, you didn't give us the setting, but the setting you've got here is the Berkshires. Um, And it's from the perspective of Dora, the expecting giantess in Jack and the Beanstalk. So, I mean, I think that that's, um, you know, I guess if you were seeing it on the stage, you'd you'd see that because that would be the setting. But perhaps you can tell me a little bit about, you know, why you have set it there and, and how this character came about. Right. Well, again, this started from a personal memory of mine that my epitome of like my nature happy place is in uh, Lenox, Massachusetts, which is, which is the Berkshires, um, which are these wide open hills. Um, and just the most beautiful place I've, I've been to, honestly. And so I wrote that on, based on a memory that I have of seeing these birds in in the sunlight just lying on those hills I mean so I'd written that as a journal entry um years and years ago but then you know when I started getting into playwriting more and I wanted to really um get into other stories and and fairy tales and I was thinking about and I was also trying to bring different perspectives of women out who I like read on like static pages of fairy tales but what if they were more complex than that and so I thought of the idea of isolation and 
Jack and the Beanstalk and thinking about the giantess who we don't really hear much about uh, in the fairy tale. Um, but like, I thought like, what if she didn't like being stuck in the clouds all day? You know, what if she didn't want to just be in this castle in the sky with this big giant? Um, and what if she wanted something else for her child? Um, and so I just, um, I had this like image of this big giantess looking down on these big hills that she's even bigger than these hills, but yet all she wants is just like a place down there just to like fit within those hills. And more than that, to like raise a family like on that earth, like thinking about like, what is it like? on the earth so then I really kind of reimagined that journal entry I had written all about me like wanting to be in the clouds with these hummingbirds and I tried to see it from the opposite angle like what if she was looking back down on me and the life I had and just wanting to be down there <laughs> and have you performed this piece as well um, I did, um, just once, um, when I was, um, part of the, uh, O'Neill Puppetry Conference, the first time I went, I just did as a simple, uh, monologue, um, because that was really actually my first exposure to puppetry, and I just felt all this different energy around me, and that's kind of what inspired me to write from a new angle and I would love to perform this doing puppets in some way. <laughs> yes I love the idea of puppets and um, you know that kind of sense of different genres mixing on the stage. Totally. Mm -hmm. um, Amy before I talk about the other monologue um, what about the your process of playwriting I mean what is there something that um, provokes you to write these kind of monologues or how do you go about writing oh wow um well I mean I'm a writer I mean I just published my memoir um I have another book on pre-order <laughs> I write and write and write journals and journals and journals I mean that was what got me through my own medical traumas and so Free writing is never an issue for me. I just call it going swimming. Like, I don't want to critic. So, if anything, I need to get better at, like, killing my darlings. Um, so, really, um, what I, you know, am aiming more towards is, um, you know, knowing that I'm not just a cerebral cortex, I'm trying to work more and more on getting all that writing out, but then transforming it into some creativity, which can be felt in the full body or in full performance. So now as I write, I always try to keep something like alive and dynamic near me, like something of the four elements, whether it's a you know, candle or like an herb growing or a vessel with water in it. I'm 
Just because I think it's easy with writing, as inspiring as it can be, we can get stuck in our heads. And, you know, um, text like this needs to be spoken and, you know, felt you know, within our whole bodies. So I'd say that's what I'm trying to, when I write, I try to keep that end point in mind, knowing that I just don't want it to just stick in my thoughts um, because, um, you know, life energy is not just mind thinking energy. It, it should flow through our whole body. So I try to make writing as holistic of a process um, as it can be. And I think that's what will make it the most authentic. To finish the podcast, um, I'm going to include your reading of The Courage to Heal. And I probably mm -hmm. will give a little disclaimer before um, that so that people know that it is um, perhaps a, a sensitive topic. Um, but uh -huh. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, your uh, the writing of, of that piece. Of course. Um, yes, again, um, based on my own life, you know, um, it's so interesting how words, the power of words, really, um, because, um, you know, I was sexually abused by a big mentor in my life, uh, my voice teacher when I was 15. And my reaction was I just completely froze. And I went so out of body that I couldn't even connect the dots. You know, I thought there was just something wrong with me um, until I was just wandering through a bookstore aisle and I found the book, The Courage to Heal. And even like seeing the title for survivors of sexual abuse, I was like, what? You know, that doesn't happen to people like me. But then like I happened to flip to the page of symptoms and I was, as I was going through the list, like, I feel numb. I don't trust myself anymore. I feel out of body, you know, one by one, word by word. That was slowly sinking in that, whoa, like, I feel those things. Like, could I have been that? And that's really, it's amazing that that's what it took for me to even consciously realized that it had happened and then working through it was its whole other process where I couldn't find words to I could read about other people's stories but I couldn't say it had happened to me um, but it took about 10 years of moving that energy in other ways that did not involve words whether it was just breath work or art or dance to slowly bring those words that could come from an authentic place into my awareness. And then finally, I was able to talk about it. And I talked about it for the first time in public, actually, when I premiered my own one-woman musical called Gutless and Grateful in 2012 but you know that took almost 10 years before I could 
even speak the words. And it's so interesting because the first time that I performed that Listen Grateful, I only like snuck in a sentence or two. And I think because there was still some sense of undeserved shame, I felt, or more like, oh, can I really talk about this in public? But, you know, I've been touring that show for eight years, and every time I did it, I ended up expanding on that monologue, like, a bit more and a bit more. And that really shows that once we start talking about it, if we allow ourselves to say those words, you know, we have to give it time. Everyone heals and, you know, shares at their own rate, if at all. Um, But slowly through speaking it, I took more power over it to the point where I could just talk about it. Um, And I felt so separate from it in a good way. Like I had grieved the loss and moved on. So it shows what the power of words can do. And also that everyone needs to go, all survivors need to go at their own pace. Like, especially when the Me Too movement was happening, like, I got a lot of questions from people that were doing interviews, like, what is the typical, you know, rate of, like, people talking about it or what are, like, why are there so many barriers to reporting? And I said, I can't give you like a statistic of, oh, it takes five to seven weeks for survivors to start talking about it. You know, everyone has to go at the pace that's natural to them. And this was how it happened for me. Has that um, helped other people to talk to you about their experiences? Oh, completely. So much that... um, I had no idea it would make a difference at all. I was so new to all this, but I ended up touring Gutless and Grateful, and I still do virtually now, um, to colleges all over the country and combining it with like a a sexual assault um, awareness workshop and mental health workshop. And it's really reached a lot of students in, in... more effective ways than I ever could have imagined. Um, so now, you know, again, I have all these virtual programs where I'm speaking to colleges and, and really running these workshops on, you know, healing at your own pace through the power of, of words and expression. And I'm just, it's amazing that I, I never expected it to have this impact. And it, it feels so nice to know that you are know, making it easier for some people. You know, I've, I've used parts of my show as like the keynote speaker for take back the night events. Um, so many things like that. I never would have anticipated. Amy, is there anything else you wanted to say about your playwriting process? Yeah. Um, one thing about my, my playwriting process is um, I've learned now that it's better to not think with the end in mind and just to um, to think about like the one specific element at a time 
especially with the um, the piece I'm creating now, which I'm really excited about, um, is called Gaia Plants a Seed. Um, and the driving question behind it is, how can we really foster connection and compassion with each other and, and for ourselves if we don't even have a compassionate connection with the earth? And so it's all about the idea of reciprocity and and healing our planet. And to do that, I'm actually, this is really my first, I've toured two or three one-woman musicals, but this is my first one where I'm ever using puppetry as the main vehicle for performance, which I've currently been really immersed in. Um, and so right now, um, because there's so many things you can do with puppetry, I'm really taking the time just every day. And this is my one key, like, whatever you do, you got to do it consistently. So every day, I've been working with the marionettes I've been making um, for God, at least an hour every day. Just seeing how each one moves and seeing without me like dictating what the story is, seeing if the marionettes have a story they want to show based on that. And I'm also using my artwork, I'm using my original music, and I've also created a script. Um, and even though this is a solo show, I already made a 60-page script for seven actors, just so I could hear all the different characters in my head. And last week, I actually had a table reading with seven actors doing it, and it was so helpful for me. Um, so anyway, that's the newest project I'm working on, and um, I'm really excited to see how this takes shape, because also, this is the biggest one that really goes beyond my story of my, you know, traumas and 30 surgeries and is more about healing, which I love writing about healing, but it's about the earth and, and how we can all be part of that and find connection, which is so important, especially right now when I feel like we're all feeling a little disconnected. Um, so I hope this piece serves as a reminder as no matter how disconnected we feel, you know, we always have the earth and it's our responsibility to uh, take care of it. So, you know, so she can take care of us. You've been listening to Amy Ostriker talking about her work. Thanks, Amy, for meeting with me via Zoom. And to conclude, we will have a final monologue by Amy called The Courage to Heal. Now, some people may find the content in the monologue disturbing as it deals with sexual abuse. So if you think you might be disturbed by the content, please stop the podcast now. I was so out of touch with my emotions. One day, I browsed the bookstore, pacing through the aisles as my way of coping and marking time, I experimented with scanning the self-improvement aisle. I had an instinct that something within me had changed, but I wasn't exactly sure what. 
it wasn't a reality to me that someone so close within my circle of trust could do something like that to me. A big yellow book popped out at me. Ellen Bass and Laura Davis's The Courage to Heal. Courage, as I remember learning, meant to share who you are with your whole heart. Do you restore to a sound state by sharing what you've become after trauma? The courage to heal. I was struck by those words. Courage. Heal. Was there something I was scared to face that I needed to find the strength inside to really confront? I reached for that thick yellow binding as though someone was leading me towards this. Now I was face to face with the cover, every now and then glancing over my shoulder to make sure no one was looking at me. Now the subtitle read aloud and clear, For Survivors of Sexual Abuse. Those are words that belong with plane crashes and gang rapes and armed robberies and dateline specials. In suburban Connecticut, we were faced with stress for final exams or a spat with a best friend. I almost laughed and was about to put the book back, but couldn't. I opened up the book and read through the symptoms in the first chapter. Check all that apply. I feel dirty. Like there's something wrong with me. Sometimes I think I'm crazy. I feel ashamed. I'm different from other people. I feel powerless. If people really knew me, they'd leave. I have a hard time taking care of myself. I don't deserve to be happy. I don't trust my intuition or my feelings. I'm often confused. I'm a failure. I use work to make up for empty feelings inside. I don't know what I'm feeling anymore. I can't cry anymore. I can't express emotions anymore. I'm rarely angry because anger scares me. I have nightmares and panic attacks. I feel as if my body is separate from the rest of me. I feel numb. Numb. That was the word. The soft bee felt tingly on my lips as I swallowed up that word in terrifying secrecy. Numb. That is how I felt. Like my body was physically going through the motions of everyday life, but the me I knew my entire life was not a part of it. It was as though I was determined to remain in denial. When I turned 17, a mentor who I had known for several years transformed into a complete stranger. One night, I had come to a studio for a voice lesson. I went into total shock and coped by leaving my body and staying numb when he started to molest me. By the end of the night, I couldn't remember a thing that happened. When I woke up, my voice teacher did not go back to who I thought he was. I stayed numb for months and months. Suddenly, all I could feel were just my feet pacing back and forth over the endless passing of days. This 
father figure had broken our bond in a split second, and suddenly I didn't know who I could rely on. I kept this secret burning in my gut, hidden from my family, who didn't recognize that I had become this numb space cadet. They were concerned that I was suddenly not laughing, not singing, and not showing signs of any human emotion. They were angry, confused, concerned that I had suddenly transformed seemingly overnight. Family tensions mounted, and I felt trapped in a situation I didn't understand. And then I was in a Barnes & Noble, somehow holding an impossible book. Courage. Heal. Nervousness rushed over my body as though I had just been caught shoplifting. The warmth that filled my cheeks was a peculiar heat I hadn't felt since I had last laughed or smiled. Words had the power to pierce through my skin with more potency than my fingernails, now rattling with uncontrollable rage and energy. When I turned eighteen, I finally spilled everything to my mother. Two weeks later, before I could get therapy or anything, something happened. My secret had made me sick. All that anger, guilt, and confusion I felt in my stomach until it exploded. I woke up months later in an ICU to learn that I've been in a coma for months. Doctors informed me that I had no digestive system. It was not known when or if I would ever eat again. A decade later, I'm happy, healthy, and still healing. The sexual trauma took years to heal from. It took a very long time to verbalize the abuse, to tell someone, to tell myself. And then... I had to forgive myself. I was once told that the physiological sensations of helplessness feel the same as guilt and shame. I've heard plenty of times that it was not my fault. It took a very long time to truly embody this feeling. Because it's not about forgiving the other person. Not in any relational way for the other person to acknowledge. It's letting go of the whole huge thing and forgiving yourself. With post-traumatic stress syndrome, you can fight, flee, or freeze. I often wonder why I didn't fight back against my molester, say no, or just run in the other direction. But I symbolically ran. I left my body and froze. I couldn't allow myself to think I was so worthless to someone I had loved. Unthawing my soul once again and feeling it in my body has taken much time and patience. And now that I feel like me again, but older, wiser, and stronger, I can feel. Ultimately, it has been a blessing. I would rather feel everything than nothing at all. I must have had the courage to heal inside myself as I was instinctively drawn towards this bold green print. Sometimes all it takes is the transformative power of words to signal something in our awareness that we are in need of something profound. 
I learned that our secrets do keep us sick. We lock emotions, memories, any terrible things we might try to suppress in our fragile mortal frames. For months, I kept that secret inside, the secret of something so horrific, I couldn't even comprehend it. The courage to heal starts with an individual and spreads throughout the family. Words can act like viruses in this way. If you don't share your secrets, people will tell your secrets for you, even if they're guessing. As my health worsened, the speculative gossip grew louder. Theories like anorexia to cancer to getting hit by a bus traveled my Connecticut town. So my mother spoke my secret aloud. My secret leaked when I was in a coma. But that courage I had used to tell my mother somehow stayed within me. When I awoke months later, and my ventilator was finally removed, the first words I wheezed were, It was him. As soon as I was discharged from the hospital, although weak, worn, and still unable to eat or drink, my parents took me to a lawyer. As we explained my complicated case and asked about the ins and outs of testifying in court against my molester, the lawyer looked at me compassionately and explained to my parents that I had been through so much. Testifying would be a terribly emotional, grueling process. What was important was that I heal physically. So, this secret was put on the back burner until I got healthy. Ten years have passed since my stomach exploded. I am a medical miracle. I've changed from a miss to a missus, from starving for nutrition to hungry for life. I still get asked why I don't try to testify in court now or why I don't confront him or attempt to expose the sociopath that changed my life forever. I don't think of it as a secret anymore. I know it in my heart, and it is my truth. Just because I haven't shared his name or have directly confronted him, it doesn't mean the universe can't hear my secret. Finding that book, The Courage to Heal, a decade ago, I was faced with my own denial. I realized the value of my story once I was able to read it and ultimately write it for myself. Ironic that my mentor was a voice coach, a sociopath who so needed my silence. Through Ellen Bates and Laura Davis's page of bulleted symptoms, I felt a reconnection to the world. Everything was possible, even the good things. Thanks to Amy Ostriker, one of our members from the United States. Thanks for listening in to this podcast. There should be more coming soon.